That's a good time for me to remind us that we all need to still be cautious given there's been some local cases in our, in our area in the last few days. And so what that means is, you know, obviously we can't be hugging and shaking hands and doing all those things that we love to do and, and spacing out wherever practical. Um, Alpha is coming up on April the 25th. I'm still waiting for the invitations that were supposed to be here this week or the week before last, but they will be here this week. They promised me. Um, but this morning on your chairs, hopefully you'll, have, you'll find one of these things here. And I just want to encourage you to take that out now. I just realised that you probably don't have a pen, because we used to hand out pens to everybody. But could you um, start to uh, think about who you would like to start praying for, that you could invite to Alpha? Now, here's the thing about Alpha. You don't have to come for the whole 10 weeks, okay? I just encourage you to think about... Um, inviting someone, and if your friend or family member says yes, then just join them on the first Sunday evening at 5 o'clock on the 25th of April, which is the launch night. And that's the night where uh, we, we have a look at what Alpha is and we invite people to continue the journey with us. The reason why I value Alpha is because it is shown and proven to be an effective way for us to, to tell people about Jesus and to invite them into his family in that sense. And, and, and uh, you know, just so you know, you can trust me with your friends. Um, we, don't, we, we don't do anything that's going to make them feel awkward or, you know, we're not going to tell them they have to pray or do anything that they don't want to do, you know. It's really just a time for them to come and they hear a short presentation each week and um, they have a chance to sit around a table and just tell, literally say what they think without any judgment. You know, they can literally say, I don't buy it, I don't agree with it, or I'm, con- or I'm concerned about it, or they can say, it's interesting, whatever. And we have a chance to just talk around, sit around a table and talk. So that's April the 25th, dinner is provided every night. It's uh, uh, like, uh, I'm just pushing this because I want you to know this is a key part of how, what we do here at Hills Church. We value Alpha. So I want everybody to please think, is there someone at the very least I can write on this and pray for? You know, a family member or friend. You can put them on there and stick that on your fridge or your, your mirror or something like that. And every day, just a quick prayer. And then when the invitations come out, you know, you'll be brave enough to say, hey, would you like to come to this with me? All right? Everybody with me? Good. Listen, less people here today, so you've got to speak up, all right? You've got to. We need it. We need that. Yes, thank you. There's a reason why you guys are in the front row. Yeah. And I love it. Um, as has already been mentioned, Easter services are next, next Friday and Sunday. Um, obviously, if things do go wrong this week, which would be really sad, wouldn't it? Um, then everything will be online. But at this stage, it'll be here. It'll be a Tenebrae service on Good Friday, uh, traditional Tenebrae service. And so encourage you to be here for that as well. It will be live streamed, uh, though, which is, which is really good. All right. Nine o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> I think I said it on the, on the video. Yeah. Oh, this is good. This is good. Anybody else got anything? 
Thanks, Chris. Beautiful. All right. I do note we're, cut, we're ahead of time today, you know, kids aren't released till 10.30, I'll just slow things down a little bit, maybe we'll take a little intermission, something like that. Wouldn't that be good? Intermission in a sermon? No one would come back in though, would they? Yeah, we know how that works. Anyway, all right, week six in our series in Joshua, have you been enjoying this? That's good. You had to say that. Yeah, I have been, yes. It's the story of the nation of Israel fulfilling the mission God has given them to take ownership of the land promised to them generations before. And God consistently reminds Joshua, I feel like you guys are way over there. You know, there's empty seats. Yeah, g'day, Josh. (laughs) That was timely, Joshua. Uh, God, you know, he consistently reminds Joshua, Joshua, especially when, you know, he was first appointed to this role. You're going to be the new leader. And he would say to them that you have to be strong and courageous. If if you're going to be successful and, and fulfill what I've called you to do, that's what's going to be required. Be strong and courageous. God saved them from captivity. And now he's asking them to literally take hold of this new life. You know, this new land with God as their king. And the parallels for us are good ones. You know, we're commanded to take up the new life in in Christ. But it's not easy. It takes hard work. You know, as we learned last week, you know, it takes deep faith. It takes persistence, but it definitely takes courage and strength for us today as well. It takes courage and strength. And so this week, I want to add to these things. This week, we learn that the life that God calls us to conquer, it requires a a life of obedience. If you've been reading along at home, you'll know what we're up to. We're actually in chapter 7 in Joshua. But just to to save us some time, let me give you the short story kind of leading out of last week. Last week, we read about um, uh, Jericho, right? And God's plan to take it was was an odd one. It was a different one. They had to march around this this city for a week and the walls fell down and they were able to capture it. And you might also remember that God gave very specific instructions when we're reading through that scripture in chapter 6. The Israelites were not to take anything set apart for destruction and, and, and they were to bring those things that were set apart, made of gold, silver, bronze or iron, into the tabernacle treasury. And this week we learn that somebody disobeyed that command. So we're in chapter 7, verse 1. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. And then chapter 7 goes on to describe a bad military that loss they had after this. And um, in, in the city of Ai, which apparently is how you pronounce it, because God had withdrawn his support over this act of disobedience. You know, verse 5 says that the Israelites were paralyzed with fear and their courage melted away. So you know, all those um, reminders from God about being strong and courageous, it, it, you know, because of this, this act of disobedience, the courage, and the, and, um, the courage has melted away. All that ground they've covered, all that strength and courage we've been reading about, it's gone just like that. And, you know, because one person took their eyes off God. So let's keep reading. We're going to go down to verse 6. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay, threw dust on their heads and bowed 
face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. And Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan if you were going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they will surround us and wipe, out, and wipe our name off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to the honor of your great name? But the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Are you lying on your faces like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but they have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. You know, when it comes to fulfilling the mission God sets out before us, there is one sure thing that, that can derail us, and it's disobedience. You know, if we disobey God, when we do our own thing, uh, when we fall into sin. Now, before we go any further, I, I just want you to hear something about me up front about this message, okay? Uh, you know, because a very simplistic interpretation of today's message could, could tell you that you know, any difficulty we face, suffering or setback or illness or failure, is because of sin in your life. But I want to, you to hear me from the beginning on this. That is not what I am going to say today. And I don't believe that that's what the Bible says. You know, all of those things can sometimes be a consequence of, of our disobedience or, or, or our sin or someone else's. But it would be false to simply assume that someone is suffering because of sin. And it's fair to say that original sin brought brokenness and suffering into the world. So you can link it back to that. But we should never assume someone is suffering because of sin in their life. You know, to tell someone that can be cruel and, quite frankly, not true. Often we're suffering because we live in this fallen world. And that is why the gospel is good news. You know, this is why we celebrated Easter, because God loved us so much that he would die for us and then rise again and overcome the power of that sin. And then that is available for us. Thank you. But the key point here today is that sin, i.e. disobedience, does have consequences. Now, I'll be honest, it can be uncomfortable to preach on sin. You know, I want to be that pastor that everybody loves. <laughs> and so, oh, that's good. This has gone really well today. But if we don't have a clear foundation on the seriousness of sin, you know, of disobedience, then we really won't have a very good foundation of the seriousness and the significance of grace. You know, if we brush off sin as some kind of out-of-date fundamentalism, you know, we cheapen how deep the sacrifice of the cross was. You know, we lose that. There is some good application in here for us today, though, as, as God's church. You know, we are the bride of Christ, right? And a bit like the Israelites, you know, we're God's people. And sin has an effect on the bride. You know, most of us have seen a, a church or a pastor or a ministry fall from grace because of disobedience, because of secret sin, even though 
We all agree that uh, we're going to follow God wholeheartedly together and accomplish God's mission for us. You know, disobedience has a way of undoing all of those things, and sometimes very quickly. And it's happened time and time again. So secret sin, like Achan's, can derail not only an individual Christian, but it has the power to derail an entire church body. You know, not always, I know. Because sometimes it feels a little unfair that this one man's sin kind of derailed a whole nation. But it can also do that to a whole church body. You know, we can blame the devil, and he'll inevitably do his part. But ultimately, it's up to us to do the hard work and the right work of holy living, resisting the devil, resisting temptation, and pursuing God with purity and holiness. You know, that he calls us to. And I've got some thoughts on how we can stay on track together as a church, so that you know, sin won't derail us. So this is, uh, well, I've said it's God's system of staying on his path, but maybe I'm assuming a little bit too much, but here's some things that would be part of God's system of staying uh, on the right path. So number one is confess to each other. Who loves this one? Yeah. <laughs> no, you were, you were legit. Hey, confess to each other. Because James says, remember we did a whole series on James? So I'm repeating a point from last year. James says that we should confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You know, that's easier said than done, I guess. But important for us to do nonetheless because it's actually a powerful thing. You know, James wouldn't have said it if it wasn't part of God's plan for us to stay on the right track. It's not a system to shame each other, to embarrass each other, or to condemn each other. That's not what confession's about. You know, no one should ever, by the way, feel compelled to confess. When we start doing things that compel people, you start to, your church starts to look like something different to a church, you know, more like a cult in a way. Sometimes there's a fine line. <laughs> you have to be, we have to be careful. But... You know, confession is voluntary and it's done with compassion and sensitivity. It's a system that actually can free us from shame. You know, free us from the cover-up. It leads us to something new in Christ. You know, we were just singing some words before about being made new. Confession can actually be part of this. You know, but it's pride, sadly, that holds us back. You know, we don't want to risk reputations. We don't want people talking about us or thinking badly about us. But church, I can tell you right now, a, a, a very small group of very trustworthy and mature friends is a very powerful thing in a Christian's life. James confirms it. He says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Well, we, we've got to get to being those righteous people. Confession is the pathway to forgiveness and being right with God. And it seems to me that James is pointing to secret sin as being a hindrance to having our prayers answered. Number two is this, be truthful with each other. You know, too often we don't speak up and sin and disobedience have a way of grabbing hold of someone or even a whole church or group of people. But everyone kind of wants to tiptoe around the truth or stay silent and things tend to get worse over time. Paul says in Ephesians that we should speak the truth in love. Note two important things here. Firstly, 
It can be tempting to say nothing for fear of someone rejecting us. I'm talking about within the church this morning, by the way. It does work outside of the church as well, but I'm specifically talking about in the church. Speaking truth and love to those who, who aren't followers is another sermon for another day. And we talked about that extensively, and we talked about what it means to really embrace all people. We've, we've, we've done those sermons, and we'll get back to them again. But we have to stand firm on God's truth, because as many of us have discovered, his, his truth is really what's best for us, isn't it? You know, as humans, we think we know best. And, and the world says truth is kind of subjective now, doesn't it? But we say we're going to get our truth from God's word. When I point to my iPad, I'm talking about the Bible, by the way. <laughs> God's Word. We have to stand firm on that. Yes, it involves sacrifice. God says, if our desires are pointing us towards a, a sinful path, if they're outside of his boundaries, you know, being a Christian means sacrifice. We do the hard work of it. We resist the temptations. We, we allow the Holy Spirit to bring transformation. And again, not popular in our world today, this idea of the, that God wants us to change, you know, the bits that, that aren't honouring him. Jesus says, you've got to take up your cross daily and follow him. And I get it. It, it can be hard to take up a cross, but... That's why it's a cross. Things die on a cross. It's a sacrifice. But nothing is impossible when we live in God's grace and with his Holy Spirit's power and also in a loving spiritual community like we have. But churches who have watered down God's truth, they allow disobedience and sin to creep in and it reduces their effectiveness. You know, the salt and light, less salty, less light happens. And the worst thing is that it can lead people astray and, and the church can become you know, like anemic and inward focused and kind of powerless to make a difference. That's kind of what happened to Israel. They become powerless. Which leads me to the second thing and that's the love bit of this truth point. Because Paul didn't say to speak truth with judgment. As tempting as that can be. <laughs> he didn't say speak truth with condemnation which is what our world tries to do. It's not our job to judge and condemn. You know, God is the one who judges. It is our job to love all people, though. And my encouragement to us all today is that it's good to speak truth, but if the person you're speaking to isn't abundantly clear that you love them no matter what, by your actions and your generosity and your compassion and your inclusiveness, then I propose... Don't speak that truth until you can get those other things right first. Do you see that? That's how it has to work. It's the 1 Corinthians 13 principle, the one that you hear at every wedding you go to, you know, that you're just going to be a gong. Even if it's truth, it's, just, it's, it's almost worthless. It has no effect. Your so-called truth will have no power to help people. In fact, you may do more harm than good if the two aren't linked closely. We work on loving people first and foremost. You'll find your message has more power if you do. And quite frankly, if you're struggling to really love people, then perhaps that's the truth that you need to hear first. Just saying. That bit is the important bit. 
Number three is we have to hold each other accountable. And this is the missing ingredient in so many church leaders who have failed. You know, I guess the big example right now, sadly, is, is what's happened with um, Rabbi Zacharias, you know, um, lack of accountability and things like that. And I remember um, there was a pastor who, who spoke here, um, Pastor Mike Hilson, a couple of years ago, and he has a large church in America. He's a good friend of mine, New Life Church. And I remember he was talking to a group of pastors, and I was there at our national conference last year. And he said, people often say, why don't we just go out on our own? We're this big church. We can look after ourselves now. Why do we need to be part of a denomination? And he says, because I need to be held accountable. You know, it's just too tempting. They're there, you know. Okay, yes, you have to pay into a national church fund and you, and you have to follow a constitution and systems of government and, and, and you have to answer to the, to the hierarchy and all those sorts of things. Sometimes they're annoying and you wish you didn't have to. It's like dealing with a tax office sometimes. No, it's not. But he looked us in the eye and he said, every leader needs to have strong systems of, account- of accountability. The board is, is important, but not just your board, because sometimes boards kind of fall apart or, or they can be manipulated or, or whatever. Having a higher person that you answer to, yes, we answer to God, but people who hold you to account is actually important. You know, they hold you to, in this church, I am held to account financially, spiritually, relationally, ethically, and morally, not just by our board, but by um, our denominational leaders. They check on me. I have to actually, it's annoying, I've got to fill out reports, but I actually have to affirm that I still believe these statements of belief that our denomination agrees with, and that I'm still doing these things and those things, that my marriage is still strong, that I'm not, um, you know, not overworking or underworking, all those sorts of things. Accountability. But it's not just the leaders. It's not just me that needs accountability. We all need it. We all need at least one person in our life who has the permission to ask us hard questions. I wonder if you have someone like that. And if you don't, I want to ask you to start praying about who that might be. That one person who really loves you no matter what, you know, and when they ask you, the, when they do the truth, you know the love is there. And I've got a couple people like that in my life. And when they ask me the hard questions, or sometimes they might point out something that even if I didn't ask them to tell me, (laughs) I'm actually good with it because I trust them. I know that they love me. We need this, church. I can assure you, sin in our lives has the power to not only affect us individually, it has the power to affect the church body. Every person here has a part to play in this church body. You know, the Bible says so, by the way. That's not the pastor saying it. Your obedient life can add to this body and your disobedient life can take from it. And I want to remind you, for the Israelites in this story, the sin of one man had a devastating effect for the whole nation. You know, when a person in the church body has has a sin of pride, the whole body can suffer. When a person is quick to be angry, the whole body can suffer. When a person, especially a leader, has a moral failure, the whole body suffers. When a person holds back in serving, the body suffers. Same for giving, the body suffers. Same for loving and caring and praying for each other. You get the picture. We, you know, we need you. We need each other. So what happens if sin is uncovered? Like Achan's sin? 
We follow the way of Jesus. We forgive and we love and we restore. And we follow his path to redemption, which is my last point for today. And it's that God's grace and forgiveness abounds in his church. Sometimes that might mean new boundaries for people who have done the wrong thing. You know, you have to be wise. It might mean people are step down from leadership or out of positions of ministry, either for a season or depending on what has happened. You know, you, you have to be wise. Sometimes the church is too quick to restore people, especially if there's been a, abuse, which we've seen happen in churches. Certain actions sometimes mean people are done with ministry or leadership you know, out of care for victims. God will open a new place for them in his church somehow. But being a church that is obedient includes lovingly restoring the fallen and compassionately caring for the prodigals that we pray for and wait for their return and forgiving those who may have hurt us. That's the example of Jesus. His deep love for us must be reciprocated to those around us. It's our responsibility as his followers to not... uh, you know, squash what he has done for us by not passing it on to others. You know, if he forgives me, then I've got no right to not forgive others. And that's the way the church runs. Like I said, there's wise, there's wisdom and there's boundaries. But that love that we've received from God, you know, we cannot withhold that to others. That's what Christians do. Christ lives in us. It has to flow from us. So today's message is to encourage each of us to collectively watch out. You know, watch out for, for sin in our lives. You know, uh, be, be obedient followers. Obey his commands to us. Because to disobey can trip us all up. It can slow us all down. It can send us way off course. That's what happened after Jericho to the Israelites. When one person disobeyed, not only did they lose God's favour, the strength and the courage drained out of them. And, you know, this can happen in a church. You know, we've been talking about it week after week and, and we can build ourselves up and say, we've got this, you know, we've got the courage to go forward. But when there's one thing that, that there's this one thing that can mess it up and it just drains out of us. Psalm 139 says, uh, search me, O God. Know my heart. And then he actually says this to God. <laughs> Test me. Who, who really wants to pray that prayer? You know? <laughs> but this is the, the desire of the, of the psalmist here. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Because sometimes we don't even know. You know you've probably heard of sins of omission. We don't even know sometimes the things we are doing are offending God. And the, the psalmist says, God, tell me about it. Tell me about it. I need to know. It's like doing the, um, if anyone here has ever done the Leadership 360 profile. I've done that once. And, and, and you get a whole bunch of people in your life who write comments about you. That's a lot of fun, hey? And, and, and it's, but the idea of it is to kind of reveal blind spots. And weaknesses that maybe we weren't sure of. And I feel like it's a bit like this. You know, point out anything in me, Lord, 
anything, anything that offends you. And then, if, and then please lead me along the path, your path of everlasting life. It's the path of redemption. But it's a path of an obedient follower of Christ. It's the path of an obedient church. We live in that life, the holy life. I preach this to you today not to condemn you or judge you or make you feel guilty, but to inspire you and encourage you to get in there and follow God all the way. Everything that he is talking to you about. That's what he wants from us. It's a good life, by the way. Would you pray with me? Tim, you can come. God, I want to just pray that prayer. And church, I invite you to pray with me. Search my heart, oh God, search my heart. Know my heart. Test me, Lord. Know my thoughts. Now, God, we ask, we give permission, point out anything, anything that offends you. Now, God, we join you on that path, that path to everlasting life, that path to glory, that road that you are on, Lord Jesus. God, where it's hard, I pray for your strength. Where it's scary, I pray for your courage in each and every one of us here. Lord, let us be a church that... Um, that puts you in the center. Lord, let us be a church that uh, values obedience and holiness and purity. Let us be a church, though, Lord, that is filled with love and grace and compassion that's inclusive, that embraces people. Let us be a church, Lord, that points people to you for redemption and restoration and transformation. I pray, God, that we continue to be a church where lives are made new in the name of Jesus. This morning, Lord, as we approach Easter, you know, we're sort of coming out of this time of Lent where we, we, we consider our lives before you, where we, where we repent of our ways that aren't honouring of you. And now we look to, to Good Friday coming up, Lord, and we see the cross on the horizon. And we thank you for how deep your love is for us. We thank you, Father, that you sent your Son out of love for us.